are coming to one of those passages in Genesis that I wish somebody else was preaching on. Um, So let's give it a go nonetheless. We are in Genesis chapter 19. And the unfolding story that we're going to read about today is just not an easy one. In essence, it records the challenging and probably upsetting consequences of Lot's spiritual decline. Following this chapter, although we will hear Abram's story continuing on, this will be the last we will hear actually about Lot. And the comparison between these two men could not be more different. In in very simple terms, it comes down to this. Abraham was a friend of God. Lot was a friend of the world. Now, as we heard last week, the trio who had visited Abraham a few chapters back have split up. And while the Lord has himself has stayed behind with Abraham, the angels have gone on to Sodom. So in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, we read these words. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and borrowed, I'm sorry, and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him and Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast. And they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men that, you, that, that came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other, than those other men. And they lunged towards Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, bolted the door, Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the house, who were at the door of the house, so they give up trying to get inside. We'll stop there for a moment. In this story, this Middle Eastern obligation to provide hospitality falls automatically on Lot. So in line with the normal custom, Lot asked the visitors to stay with him. They refuse. 
He offers again, they refuse, and he keeps offering until they eventually agree. That was the culture, that was the, that was the custom. However, it wasn't long before the true character of Sodom is revealed, and, and virtually every single man of the city turns up with the intention of, of raping the visitors. Now, some people have tried to suggest that Sodom's sin was a refusal to show hospitality. Clearly, it is ludicrous to suggest that Sodom's problem was simply a lack of hospitality. Others have singled out homosexuality as Sodom's problem. But this is not, this is not the proof text against, against homosexuality that, that some people would try to make it. Other passages such as Ezekiel chapter 16 actually help us to give maybe some clarity to what this is. And it's not, this is not about sexual sin alone that brought God's judgment on Sodom. In Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 we read, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. The treatment and the aggression against these visitors reveals just a lawlessness, a violence, an arrogance, a, a self-centered for concern for nobody else except for themselves. Then... There is Lot's behavior. How could he even think of offering up his daughters? It is simply, simply horrifying. But don't, don't make the mistake of assuming that because the Bible describes something, it also approves of it. Now, we have all perhaps seen news films of crowd violence against unfortunate individual and, and Lot, Lot is facing just such a mob and he has got an obligation to protect his guests so he has to decide should his guests be sacrificed or his family but is it really a case of either or and I wonder what would what would you have done faced with a similar circumstance Whatever the rights and wrongs of Lot's actions, the, the mob refuses his offer and the angels intervene and the rescue of Lot is just about to begin. But in, in all of this trauma, we need to remember that it was Lot's foolish choice of where to live that led him to this horrifying situation. And I think there is probably just a straightforward lesson to learn for all of us here, you need to think very carefully about the decisions that you make and the situations that you put yourself into. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that we need to be so careful. And in fact, he goes further. He suggests that there should not, there should not be even a hint, not even a whiff of any kind of immoral behavior among Christians compromising situations, the things that we watch, what we read with unhealthy sexual elements, or perhaps we need to take control of our anger, aggression, 
criticism, harsh words, bitterness, jealousy. Because what we surround ourselves with, the company that we keep, what we read to what we watch actually will affect our lives. The truth is, what you put in has got consequences. So my encouragement to you and to myself this morning, feed on the gospel. Feed on the word of God. Because, because when, we, when we do that, God's truth will nurture faith and love within our lives. The fruit of the spirit will grow and flourish. And, and Jesus will be seen. What you put in will come out. So you need to protect and guard your heart, your mind, your eyes. You need to be careful. You need to put safeguards in place to be accountable to at least one other person. Don't put yourself in, in vulnerable situations or in vulnerable places. Be open about your weaknesses. And don't think that you are the only person who is facing certain temptations. You are not alone. Despite all of that, sometimes we get ourselves into a mess. Sometimes through no fault of our own. Sometimes through our own bad choices. Either way around, in those moments, we need God's help. And we need the support of godly people around us. We need, we need the church family to love us. Especially when we have to make messy decisions that affect our own life, but also the lives of others. I can't really speak on this chapter without at least trying to deal with what the Bible has to say about sexuality. It's very clear in Scripture that when God created man and woman, he created sexual beings. The Bible, and therefore God, probably speaks more about sex than, than most churches ever do. When God created Adam and Eve, the first thing he said to them back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 was, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To put it bluntly, God said, Enjoy each other, have sex, produce lots of children within the boundaries of marriage. And sex is good. God made it. He made all things good. So what this world has, has tainted and distorted needs to be regarded as a wonderful, as a beautiful thing. The problem is sin has affected the sexual desires of our hearts, of our minds. The result is that sex is often driven more by lust than it is by love by selfishness rather than selflessness, by depravity and not by purity. So everyone has got a fallen view of sex until it is corrected by God's word. And God's word is very clear that sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. It is private it is personal, it is intimate. So God not only gives us the ability to have children, but also the freedom to enjoy sex within biblical marriage. However, sex outside of marriage, the Bible says, 
is a sin. And the Bible repeatedly warns us to avoid sexual immorality. So to be very clear, there is a biblical call for celibacy outside of biblical marriage to everyone, whatever their sexual orientation is. Now, I'm very aware of the cultural pressures all around us that we face today, and listen, they are huge. I'm also aware that the church in general has not always dealt very well with people, especially those who are same-sex attracted. At times, we have not been loving. We have not shown compassion. We have, we have been very quick to condemn without even listening or even trying to understand And the reality is that the sins that I struggle with in my own life mean that I am just as broken as the next person. And we all face temptation, sexual and otherwise. But there is no one sin any greater than any other. Each and every one of us is a sinner. And the only Hope, the only true hope that we have is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope for now and for eternity. Through Jesus, we receive the gift of grace and as a gift of just sheer beauty. That great theologian, you may have heard of him, Bono, pictures grace in his song of the same name. He gives this wonderful description of grace as it comes to us from God. The song begins with these words. Grace, she takes the blame. She carries the shame, removes the stains. It could be her name. He finishes with this. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings, Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. We all desperately need God's grace every single day of our lives. So while we need to align ourselves with God's word and trust God's way to be the best, in fact, the only way to live, we also need to recognize that the only way that this is possible is to walk with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. For Lot, the time had come to leave Sodom. As we read this next next section, don't miss God's incredible mercy in the next part of the story. This is verse 12. Meanwhile, the angel questioned Lot, Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they asked. Get them out of this place, your son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else. For we are about to destroy the city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young man thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angel became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters 
who are here, get them out now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them to safety outside of the city for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved me and you have shown such kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster will catch up with me there and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why the village was known as Zor, which means little place. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had, be, where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the city like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abram's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. And salvation here is offered to everyone in Lot's family. Sadly, his son-in-laws ignore the threat of judgment and, and they, they're left behind. But did you notice that even Lot is lethargic about leaving? It, it seems incredible that after the previous night, he is still lingering. Perhaps it was the stress and the panic that induced such strange behavior. It certainly can. So it, it would seem that the, that the angels almost have to physically drag Lot, his wife and his daughters, out of the city. But, but this act of man handling Lot and forcing him out is, is, actually, is actually the Lord's mercy. God the judge stands at the gate and he is the one who is protecting Lot and his family by pulling them out of the city, by literally pulling them out of apathy. I think it's very easy for us to stand here and judge Lot. But how different are we? Do we always have that right sense of urgency over our own salvation, and in fact, over the salvation of others? The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding territory is swift. It is absolute. It is terrifying. Lot's wife is destroyed when she cannot resist a last look. Now, although this may seem harsh, the truth is that she, 
she was unable to obey a simple, explicit warning not to look back. And we are reminded that ultimately there are consequences for our disobedience. The call not to look back in our Christian life is picked up in the New Testament in Luke chapter 17 and verse 32, where we are told, remember Lot's wife. Why? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. And when we give up our selfish way of thinking, when we look to Jesus and we trust in him, we receive life by grace alone. It is a gift of mercy that none of us really deserve. In fact, none of us certainly can earn it. It is birthed in the very heart of God. It, it, in, in fact, this life contains all of the beauty and the wonder of the undeserved love of God, a life that is summed up in Jesus who give himself to rescue you. The life of Christ is a life that gave and suffered. The life of Christ is a life which conquers and achieves. The life and the love of Christ is a perfect life because it is backed by the infinite power and love which nothing can frustrate and which can rescue you from the bondage of sin. This life is given to you by faith. And the sheer beauty of grace is just inseparable from the undeserved generosity of Jesus Christ, freely given to all who will receive it. In the last little section of chapter 19, just like the verses before it, it's, it's hard to find something edifying to say. But once again, let's carefully read and hopefully some helpful stuff will be revealed. Verse 30. Afterwards, Lot left Zor because he was afraid of the people there and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. One day, the older daughter said to her sister, there is no man left anywhere in this entire area, so we cannot get married like everybody else, and our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and then we will have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. So that night, they got him drunk with wine, and the older daughter went in and had intercourse with her father. He was unaware of her lying down or, or getting up again. The next morning, the older daughter said to her younger sister, I had sex with our father last night. Let's get him drunk with wine again tonight, and you go in and have sex with him. That way, we will preserve our family line through our father. So that night, they got him drunk with wine again, and the younger daughter went in and had intercourse with him. As before, he was unaware that he, that of her lying down or getting up again. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nations now known as the Moabites. 
When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami. He became the ancestors of the nation now known as the Ammonites. Lot and his daughters have just survived the equivalent of World War III. Their home, their region has been blasted to ashes. The wider family were all dead. Their wife, their mother had been calcified right before their eyes. The local people almost certainly eyeing them with a great deal of distrust and suspicion. And their home is now a cave to make matters even worse. No one is coming to help them. There is no insurance payout that's ever going to pay out to put them back on their feet again. So the girl's thought process goes something like this. Dad is getting old. No one wants us. So our family line is going to die out here. The one desperate alternative which could keep the family line of Lot alive was not going to be one that their father was ever going to agree to. So they make sure that he knows nothing about it. So they get him drunk. Probably not that difficult for an old man who is living in shock and probably despair and depression. So in that condition, the two on two separate nights, each daughter has sex with him. Scripture does not offer either judgment nor condemnation of this, but it does highlight to the reader the depth of moral ruin that this family has finally reached. And the rot, the rot started many years before when Lot chose to live dangerously among people who had no concern for God at all. The names of the children would have probably given the neighbors a bit of a, a, bit of a laugh, really. Moab sounds like the Hebrew for from father, and Ben-Amma, son of my father. But actually, there's nothing funny about this in that moment or even in the future for their descendants would turn out to be some of the fiercest enemies of Israel. So although Lot himself was rescued and blessed because of Abraham, yet ultimately he brought trouble to God's people. So again, we see how much our moral choices can affect so much more than just our own lives. Perhaps it's worth stopping for a moment just to reflect on your own life? What legacy will you pass on in your family, in your church? We need to pray for real wisdom in the decisions that we make, both for now, but also for their future consequences. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is is an example of God's righteous judgment, difficult as that may be for many of us to process. However, it is also true that running between these difficult, very challenging verses, God's love and God's mercy for lost sinners is also clearly seen. 
in the New Testament, when we read the gospel stories about Jesus, it becomes even more abundantly and, and wonderfully, wonderfully clear that God in Christ came to save and to rescue lost people. You see, when Jesus lived here on earth, he was known as the friend of tax collectors and sinners, and he was. Dean Ortland, who wrote Gentle and Lowly, he says this, when Jesus Christ saw the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct was to move towards that sin and suffering and not away from it. Jesus, who was the cleanest person who has ever walked on this earth, so much so that we cannot begin to just fathom the sheer purity and holiness and cleanness of his mind and heart. It's impossible for us to imagine how much more Jesus must have been affected by the things that just cause us to cringe and to, and to reel back in horror. Yet look at what he did when he met someone who was unclean. What was his first impulse when he saw the prostitute or the leper? He moved towards them. He was full of compassion for them. He spent time with them. He touched them. He loved them. When Jesus, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, he did not become unclean. The sinner became clean. And the overarching message of this story is that our God is a long-suffering, and he is full of mercy. And he holds back his judgment. That's what we deserve, after all. But he holds back his judgment so that sinful people have time to repent and turn to him. He sent his angels to rescue Lot and his family, even though... Ten righteous people could not be found in that city. Did Lot deserve to be delivered? Of course not. But then neither do we. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And you need to understand that Christ did not die for good people. There are none. The most amazing thing is that Jesus Christ died once and for all for each of us that we might know God. Listen, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be saved from the judgment to come through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and he will rescue all who come to him in true repentance and faith. Isaiah 55 sums it up most beautifully. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thoughts of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. And we come to a wonderful Savior who loves you, who cares for you, 
who offers forgiveness to each and every one of us. If you do not know him, you can know him today by putting your trust in him. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Lord, we thank you that you love us more than we could ever begin to understand. And Father, as we, we wrestle with, with some of these scripture passages and as we have questions that we don't always know the answers to, Lord, we know that in you there is hope and there is fullness and there is joy because you're a God who loves us even in our weakness and in our sinfulness. You reach down from heaven in love and you draw us to yourself through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.